Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Me, joined as always by my faithful co-host, Mr. Adam Shear. How's it going, Adam? Uh, going really well, Jerry. I've been sharpening my elevator pitch in, oh. in advance of this episode. <laughs> so uh, excited to share it with our guest. Excellent. Excellent. You know, the the greatest crime of, uh, you know, work from home is, you know, no more elevator pitches. You know, you're not in those elevators anymore. What are you going to use them on? <laughs> that's right. Zoom pitch. How about that? The Zoom pitch. Okay. That's, that's better. We got, got for a new generation. Well, I think we have the perfect guest today to help you uh, sharpen that uh, newfangled Zoom pitch. Uh, we've got Olivia Looper on the ca- on the cast today. How are you doing, Olivia? Hey guys, I am doing great. I am so ready to do this interview. I've been thinking about it all week. I'm so excited. And first of all, please do not put me on the spot with the elevator pitch. They are quite possibly one of the (laughs) hardest things to write, but it is easier helping other people more than, you know, it's easier than doing it yourself with your own elevator pitch. So tough. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, well, for our listeners who don't know you, uh, you are a you know the owner and uh, founder of Lexicon Advisor Marketing. So, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you basically help advisors with their marketing content. You know, uh, getting themselves out in the world. You also you know did a lot of ghostwriting for for advisors and. Uh, it's just a topic that a lot of our students come to us, especially those who are newer to the industry is, you know, how do you get out there? How do you attract clients? How do you make a name for yourself? And, you know, we thought we'd come to the expert and uh, kind of get your get your opinions and maybe give our listeners some tips on how they can, uh, you know, grow their business. Yeah, I'm all for it. I can give you any information you need. I am an open book. I am ready to answer all of your toughest questions and help all of your listeners out on their quest to grow their advisory business. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's kind of just get right into it. And I kind of want to learn a little bit more about your backstory because I did a little bit of research uh, to prepare for this episode. And I saw that you, you started off as a, as a ghostwriter. So can you kind of tell us a little bit like what that's like, how you fell into that and and what that kind of job looks like? fell into it is exactly what happened actually (laughs) Um, (laughs) when I had my third child he was a baby my mother-in-law who a business consultant for financial advisors was visiting in town we live in Florida and they live in Louisiana and she was like hey Liv so you know she knew I was in between careers I just finished my master's degree in English she knew I didn't want to go back to teaching high school I did that for a few years it was terrible the students are great the job was terrible mm-hmm. um so she's like well what are you gonna do you know like when Roman gets older and he grows up and goes to school and I was like well I you know well and I'm not gonna wait that long I'm not that patient <laughs> two I think what I'll probably do is get back into freelance writing I did that you know in college as I was finishing my master's degree all kinds of different industries finance surprisingly wasn't one of them um, but she was like well not for nothing live but there aren't very many copywriters who specialize in the financial services space. There are a few, but you know, there aren't very many options. You might try that. So what she did was she hooked me up very generously with her email list. And she said, have at it, you know, write some blogs for yourself, send them out an email. And I said, okay, it got a logo. I got a website. Um, I started writing and I started sending it out and I started getting some advisor clients. So we would just First, it was just blogs. Then it was emails to go with the blogs. Then it was social posts to go with the blogs. Then it was like, well, we don't know what to do with all this stuff. Can you just do it? And I was like, okay, sure. So I (laughs) added those services. So it kind of went from just creative agency um, to content marketing agency. And then, you know, as a content marketing agency, really, it was designed to sort of be a plug into a larger capital M marketing plan, right? Like this would be great to plug into your overall strategy if you need someone to help do the writing, do the dissemination, but don't let this be it. And they're like, well, you're it. That's what we're, you know, relying on. It's like, well, we can't attach outcomes to just this. We've got to put a strategy in place. We've got to 
figure out where your target is, what their buying behaviors are. How can we write a message that resonates with them to get them to convert to paying clients? So we just kept evolving to keep up with the need of our advisor clients. And so we have ended up in a place that I'm really, really happy with and our clients are really happy with, which is as a fully outsourced digital marketing team, it keeps larger firms from having to hire in-house uh, saves them a little bit of money and commitment, you know, on that end. Um, but they get a team of experts, you know, at their disposal. So that's sort of the way that it's evolved um, over time. And, you know, what do they say? Innovation leads or the need leads <laughs> to innovation. But we just kept just kept going to try to keep up with what we found people needed. Yeah. Now you have, you know, your full-fledged marketing guru, uh, you know, like, empire i want to say is a you know or growing empire at least i mean uh, yeah hopefully one day (laughs) so Uh, we're on the path riding the wave right yeah exactly great (laughs) did um did you find it was tough to kind of get up to speed on some of the technical jargon in as a ghostwriter in finance yeah, so uh, for, it's a funny story, too. But when, when I was having this conversation with my mother-in-law back five years ago or six years ago now, and I was like, finance, money, I don't like numbers or charts or graphs. I don't know about any of that stuff. I Would I tell you the learning curve was steep? I knew nothing about retirement. I knew nothing about financial planning. I started just reading a bunch of books reading all of Michael Kitch's stuff um, because, you know, he was like the beacon of financial services. I was like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I just kept reading and kept learning. But when I first started writing the articles, it took me a very, very long time. Like uh, I remember this one article that took me all day on how to craft your retirement paycheck because I had no idea how I had to go figure it out. And then I had to learn in the process about claiming Social Security. And we all know what a bear that is. Like there's like a million options for claiming Social Security. <laughs> so, I mean, the learning curve was steep, but as I went, I learned more and I got faster and, you know, more uh, experienced with the jargon. But here's the other thing, too, right? Marketing your financial services business very seldom has to do with super technical things, right? Because what people want to know is the benefit that your service offers them. And that doesn't really get into, you know, projections and all of these type of things. That's later down the line. First, we've got to build awareness about the value that your service adds and how it makes their life better. How are you going to alleviate their stress? How are you going to help them become the person that they want to be? And in a lot of ways, I'll use the analogy of a mirror, right? Your marketing should hold up a mirror to show them the person that they want to be. And I think it's Seth Godin in This Is Marketing. He said, people like us do things like this. And that is what your job is, to show them what the possibilities are um, and align that message with what is important to them. And then later down the line, you know, like when you're doing your sales process and you're talking to clients one-on-one, then you can kind of talk about some of the more technical stuff. But um, on the front end, it's not, it is not super technical. Um, It was for me as a, you know, not having a finance background, the learning curve was steep, but on the whole, you know, once we got over the hurdle, the first, I would say six, eight months, nine months, then I started really getting a feel for everything. And then it was just clockwork, you know, just basically taking the information um, and putting it in the framework of that client's um, niche and and presenting the information in the new way. So, so I'm curious what kind of like the strategy is, are you, you know, presenting interesting contents that prospective clients would be naturally drawn to and then, you know, kind of funneling that into a, you know, client relationship system, or is it more just like marketing the advisor themselves? Like what's, what's kind of the process there? Yeah, that's a really good question. I like to do a good mix because here's the thing, personal content builds rapport and uh, relatability in the digital space, because when you, the old way of financial advice or marketing, right? Like meeting people, I call it hand-to-hand combat, like door, going door knocking. out, face, <laughs> yeah, face, networking, all of this stuff. And I literally just had a client sign up last month who still, that was his 
only source of marketing, literally has never done yep. anything in digital marketing. He has a LinkedIn page, like that's it. So I, I, this I still think, happens. People still do this. I, I think but, Merrill, Merrill Lynch still does that. Merrill Lynch tells its advisors they should be going out knocking on doors and introducing themselves to people. And it's just like, that does not work in this day and age. <laughs> in this day and age, I would be insulted if my employer told me that that was the way that I needed to go generate revenue. Like, right. are you kidding me? What yeah, am I, I, I be selling... Yeah, before, before Mary I, Kay. Yeah, before I worked here, before I worked here, I, I interviewed at Merrill Lynch, and they told me that was a requirement, and I was just like, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> this, That's this insanity. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is this is back in like 2018, though, so maybe they've changed. Uh, you know, post pandemic. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. What I mean, seriously though, I mean, I started in 2019. The and the conversation has drastically changed, especially like in the digital space when we're talking about just content production in general. Back then, it, it was sort of like if you were showing up to social media and you were sending regular emails, you were like way ahead of the game, man. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking like posting once a week. Like you were like, yeah, I'm doing this social thing. Yeah. And you didn't even really have to make your content that engaging because the space wasn't totally saturated yet. A lot of financial advisors really hadn't gotten the message. The message then was like, you need to be on, have a digital presence. And then COVID came and most of the people were like, oh, crap. Yeah, we do. Yep. <laughs> and then everybody kind of got the memo and especially newer advisors who are just starting out bootstrapping it. You know, you're going to use your free avenues because you don't have a huge revenue to be going and outsourcing your marketing. So you're bootstrapping it for the you know first few years. Um and so the, the marketplace got a lot more saturated. So now as a marketer, it's not like, hey, you need to be doing this. It's like, how can we do it well and in a way that's going to work? So the the message has definitely changed. It's, you know, the saturation is up the ante. You definitely need to present content that isn't crap, you know, that doesn't suck, as my friend Jeremy says. Like, <laughs> you have to make content that doesn't suck. And part of that is putting yourself into it because that is the one thing that you have that nobody else has is you, your service. You might think it's the greatest service in the whole world, but put you next to 25 other advisors. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of similarities. Everybody says they take the best care of their customers. Everybody says they go above and beyond. Everybody says they have the right answers. For, you know what I'm saying? So we really have to get to something that is different, which is you, but we can't just rely on your pretty face to grow your business because we need some meat, right? Because it isn't about you. It's about the client and the prospect speaking to them about the things that they need solved, how you can solve it. And then presenting that, that outcome. This is your problem. This is the solution that to the problem, which is me. And the outcome is this. So we, a lot of the content that we make, we like to infuse personal stuff, but a lot of it is going to be based on that pain impact in the, the impact and the value that you have on that pain. So we, we focus a lot on that. And that, that kind of seems to be the content that is, you know, most clickable, you know, this drives, you know, just the problem solving style content. Do you find that? Yeah. That's how it works? I mean, it's like, for example, so one of my good friends, he, um, he serves people my age. And so it's a good example for me to come up with because, um, the content that he's doing and he does his own stuff right now, he's not working with anybody, but, um, He's doing really well. And how do I know that? Because I'm his target audience. And when I see his stuff, his posts are talking to things that I'm worried about. Am I funding my child's 529 enough? Is this going to be enough? Um, you know, should I prioritize that over a higher retirement contribution? Or um, what would I do if I got hurt and I couldn't go to work? Should I, how much you know, disability insurance should I have? These are all situations that I am actually currently in and I think about. So when I see them, I pay attention. So it's getting those pain points out in front. And so you can show the people, hey, there's a solution. I have it. And guess what? There's all these other great outcomes that come from working with me. Awesome. Yeah. 
Now, are most of your clients uh, kind of independent advisors, or you mentioned you worked with a lot of large firms too? You know, what what's kind of like the balance of uh, you know who what sort of clients you serve? I really like helping everyone, except it's my marketing services don't really fit well with, uh, let's say, people who work for Wells Fargo. Um, so. I say that because I got a client inquiry recently and I was like, oh boy, I would really love to help you, but I fear that it's probably going to be a waste of both of our time um, just because there's so much compliance to mm -hmm. deal with. So most of my clients are independent RAAs, um, more specifically multi-advisor firms where they uh, work together. They're not having like independent books of business. So I market for everybody in the firm as a whole, but I also work um, with some newer advisors who, you know, come to me. We also still provide just content only services. So newer advisors will come to us sometimes to buy articles or they'll come to us to buy social media content, or they'll do a lower engagement where, you know, we do a newsletter and social posts. And so it really runs the span. Um, we typically don't work with, you know, I mean, we do work with startups too. Um, if they're kind of in a place to, you know, do a strong brand message and a strong brand branding aesthetic and build a website and things like that. Um, so basically, you know, it runs the range, but yes, independent RAs. Got it. Yeah. I was gonna, I wanted to talk about that compliance side of things. Cause other than maybe like the medical fields, financial industry probably has the highest level of regulation and compliance, uh, especially surrounding marketing. So that just must be a, a labyrinth to navigate in order to, you know, stay out of trouble basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think that having not done formal marketing in any other industry, I'm kind of callous to it. Like I doesn't bother me because to me, it's just part of the job. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's just an extra step. So a lot of my clients do their own ADV. So they have someone in-house who just reviews everything and make sure nothing promissory is said, all the disclosures are in the right places, things like that. Um, and we very rarely get any pushback of anything. It's like, hey, you need to cite this source or, you know, let's change this word to something less, you know, promissory, really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, so it's really not too bad for us. Um, I have worked with a couple Northwestern Mutuals. Um, that was a little difficult, not 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 doable a little bit more difficult. LPL is really easy to work with. I found, um, so we do work with some advisors who are under a broker dealer and we just have to see, you know, what the limitations are before I suggest the strategy that we're going to employ. Yeah. And I also do think, you know, the industry is kind of moving to a more forgiving aspect of that as well. You know, when I started right out of college, uh, we weren't even allowed to send emails to clients when I worked at a uh, Fidelity because it was too much of a risk. Uh, you know, we had to get actual ink on paper, like even faxed signatures weren't allowed, let alone emailed signatures to now, you know, moving to the industry, you know, uh, Zoom client meetings are the norm, you know, everyone's doing yeah. digital meeting and, and, you know, obviously the pandemic had a big role in that, but I just feel the industry as a whole is, is getting a lot looser to now we're getting to the point where we're seeing things like TikTok financial advisors, you know, do you think that we're going to keep in this trend of, you know, much more casual approach to kind of financial marketing, or do you think, you know, it's got to hit a wall at some point? Oh, I've, I've never really thought about that. I guess I just always hoped, you know, <laughs> I'm a very optimistic person yeah. that um, that we would just keep trending in the direction of let's not be so stringent mm -hmm. um, and give these guys some space to grow their business. Um, I think that for some broker dealers, yeah, I mean, I know it comes back to liability, but do I think that it'll go back in the other direction, hit a wall? I mean, it's got to at some point, right? Like there's got to be a boundary somewhere. Yeah. Usually um, when there's big financial crashes and people lose a lot of money is when, uh, you know, the regulators start waking up from their long slumber. <laughs> from the, Well, let's say I have not gone through one of those yet. The closest yeah. thing was like the, the mini recession in 2020 that yeah. lasted for two months. <laughs> so um, I guess I'll be, you know, 
we just buckle up and see how that goes. But I hope it doesn't go back in the other direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there was a lot of talk about it, especially around uh, like the whole GameStop fiasco and all the, you know, advisors making Reddit posts, giving, you know, financial advice on Reddit and TikTok and Twitter and all that stuff. And I, I just kind of wonder, you know, when, when that'll eventually uh, come to a head. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, when I, when I think of that, I think of like the, the influx of, influencers you know mm-hmm. these yep. people that are out there making these outlandish tiktoks <laughs> about make your kid a millionaire with a custodial roth ira or you know things like this not that it's not possible but you know or don't spend any of your money and make millions of dollars in real estate we'll show you how was just you know join airbnb or shit like that you know <laughs> like um i think that those those people if anything might have a negative influence on the regulators as far as them wanting to make sure that financial advisors don't merge into that space. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I think that's really just on a firm by firm basis, you know, um, they've all got their systems and it's going to depend on who's the one saying yes or no at the end of the day. Getting to the advisors and creating content, I'd imagine that you work with people who haven't really made a consistent effort to write new content, um, maybe are in front of their video in in a professional setting for the first time. Um, How can advisors become just more confident in letting the the world out there know what they do and and how they can help and some pain points that they can help solve or is there anything that you you would coach some advisors just starting out on as far as best practices go yeah i mean the answer is going to be invest some time and or money in your brand message because it doesn't matter if you have a really pretty website or you get the coolest graphics made for your social media if what you're saying is not resonating with the people seeing it it's just going to fall on blind eyes right um but conversely if you can have a less great looking website but a message that is high converting and do much much better so the key really is to understand your target better than you understand yourself. You need to understand what keeps them up at night, what they're thinking about when they're standing in line in the grocery store. What are the things that are making their life stressful that have to do with finances and how can you help with it? And then put that into your brand message. The brand messages will inform literally everything you do. Your website, to your social media pages, to the content, to the emails, it all starts even before a logo and you know colors and things like that who is it that you're talking to what is it that you're going to say that is the most important thing that you can do and so i think um i always to say this starting small is better than not starting at all so if you don't have someone or the budget to get someone to help you be you're going to have to do some experimenting right so take some time um i like would say start with the donald miller story brand Um, book and his marketing made simple book. They're step-by-step guides on how to put together a brand message and how to translate that into your website. Um, That's a really good place to start for somebody doing it themselves. And then when you start creating content, pay attention to it. So what, which, um, what parts of your content are getting the most engagement, which are, are people resonating with, meaning, you know, which emails got clicked through, which blogs are the most visited on your website, which content that you put out there. Now, here's a spoiler alert. Personal content is always going to outperform financial content. So you need a good mix of both. Um, But as far as, you know, the financial side of the house, what topics are you talking about that get people buzzing, you know, double down on those. And then if you have another topic, maybe that isn't resonating with your target audience, like uh, estate planning or something, you know, maybe you just put that in here and there, you know, you've got to monitor what you're doing, double down on what works, you know, start, stop, continue type deal, SWOT analysis on your own content. 
Yeah, I can definitely attest to that because, you know, we we do lots of interviews on this podcast. We got lots of different people on and I always research people by going to their website and kind of seeing what they're all about. And I just naturally, my eyeballs are always drawn to their blog posts or articles for content that I find relatable, that I find interesting. Like, I forget who it was, Adam. We had a couple episodes ago and they had an article on their uh on their website uh, talking about enrolled agents. And then they said, it's like, you know, EA it's in the game, but not that. And, you know, EA is a big uh, like video game manufacturer. And yeah. so that naturally, you know, it had no, the article had nothing to do with video games, but they just <laughs> had that like one little like cheeky reference and it instantly drew me in and made me, you know, Oh, I'll click on this and see what this article is about. When, if it was just like EA tax advisors, <laughs> I just would not have clicked on that in a million years. <laughs> exactly. I'm so hurt. Sorry, Adam. Sorry. Sorry to hurt you so bad. Adam is an EA enrolled agent. So now, this is a problem. And I'm glad we have Olivia here. So I'm I'm an enrolled agent. How do I connect to Jerry? If Jerry sees my my marks here and he's like, I'm not, ta- not going to listen to that. I don't want to talk about taxes. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny because I just did a podcast about how taxes are a good thing to put in ads because they're like a, a hard pain point for people, like a yeah, trigger sure. event. I yeah. think, oh, well, I think the fact that you like rely on the pain point, if you focus on, it's like, man, taxes are so expensive. How do you reduce your tax versus like the tax code involves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why do you, well, yeah, you just answer the question. Why do taxes suck for this group of people? Or what is the common tax problem? And then, you know, that gets their attention because taxes are one of those things. If you owe money in taxes or if you're like, dang, this person said I'm paying way too much in taxes. Like it hurts, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a pain point. So this can be an easy yeah. way to get someone in your funnel. <laughs> You know, apply, apply to those emotions. So, so we've kind of covered, you know, what makes good content, you know, how to connect to the client and, you know, actually get them to click on it. But what about just kind of getting their eyeballs on it in the first place? So, you know, I just some examples that I've run across in my own personal life in in the past, you know, a couple of weeks is I've seen Facebook ads for financial advisors. I've seen, you know, flyers stuck under car windshield thing, uh, you know, windshield wipers. Uh, I've received mailers uh, in the mail inviting me to like a group dinner where they talk about the benefits of annuities. Uh, You know, I've seen, you know, obviously uh, like Reddit posts and TikTok posts, you know, what in your experience it works and what is just kind of a waste of time and, you know, especially money when you're talking about printing out flyers and buying Facebook ads and things like that, you know, where do you think people, especially those just starting out should really focus their time and and money? Okay. Well, the answer I'm going to give is going to be, it depends, which is a really crappy answer. I know (laughs) favorite answer on this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing, because you have different advisors have different niches of people that they work with there. Those people have different behaviors. So we have to identify what the behaviors are of your target audience. And then we will figure out what awareness strategies are going to work best for that group of people. So for example, direct mail, I'm not against direct mail, especially if you offer like a localized service. So for example, I have a client overseas who does cross-border finance and he targets Americans living in I can't say where he is because I don't think that he will like that, but living in the country overseas, redacted information. And he knows that specifically there are pockets of American neighborhoods. So in that instance, I would say direct mail, like affluent American uh, neighborhoods. So I would say if you are in that kind of situation, direct mail can be a great way to get to people because you know what? People have a different relationship with mail that comes in. You know, I saw a funny meme the other day about um, like, oh, how dare you send me a cold email and like, shoo, shoo. But, oh, you sent me something in the mail. What is this? I shall take the time to open and see because we don't get a lot of mail anymore. Right. Um, but so then, um, but okay. So let's talk about advertising online. Facebook, Google, open web there are three different places where you can advertise online facebook and meta represents a very small gated portion of the internet so does google youtube very small gated portion of the internet and then there's open web which is everything else 
Um, so if then there's different stages that people are at typically social media, people are like an awareness stage. It's good to build awareness, not necessarily buying. Um, you can get cheaper leads, but they're not necessarily going to convert as hot. Google people are more interested in buying very expensive. They converted at a higher rate. Open web is sort of somewhere in the middle, but um, it gives you just worlds of opportunity because it's over 90% of the internet. So um, I would say, you know, as far as digital advertising, again, you know, I like to do a mix of all three. We cover awareness, we cover, you know, medium, middle stage, and then you know, people actively searching to buy. LinkedIn is another place where people actively searching to buy. Um, I forget what the statistic is. I read it recently, but it was like over 60 or 70% of people on there actually aren't active, but they are there to like conduct business activity, like look for people to help with their business or engage in other business activities. So that's a good place to, to go as well. So, I mean, it kind of, and that's advertising though. So when we're talking about like we are sitting here trying to market ourselves. We don't have an advertising budget. We're creating content. Well, you've got to go spend time in the places where your people are. So if you work with a lot of business owners, you want to spend some time on LinkedIn. Personally, for me, it's a gold mine. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. that's where I find financial advisors a lot of the time. Um, but if you are someone who is you know, working with um, millennials who are looking to build wealth and, you know, are small business owners or whatever, you might actually have really good luck um, building awareness in TikTok. So it really just depends who you're talking to, what their behaviors are in order to get the best return on your even effort or monetary investment in marketing. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, don't go to the local college to sling Social Security and Medicare. <laughs> don't go to the country club yeah. to talk about, you know, oh, subsidized yeah. loans. Or <laughs> Well, so that's what I was going to say, too. I'm in South Florida where, you know, people say newlywed or nearly dead. There are a ton of retirees in Florida. Uh -huh. And so one of my girlfriends from high school, actually, she's a financial advisor now and she lives close by. They have really good luck. Um, we advertise a course that they do at the local college that's in person. They send out this like two page flyer that explains what the retirement course is on. Um, it happens over two nights. People come and then at the end, they get lots of people that come for prospect calls and sign up to be clients because that's the way that those people still behave, you know, near retirement, not super digitally savvy. Some are, some aren't. Um, they still value that in-person sort of touch. So it really depends. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of reminds me when I was in the industry, I noticed that, uh, for some reason, every firm had, uh, had a satellite HQ in Scottsdale, Arizona, like every single uh, company has Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm like, why isn't my colleague finally pointed out? I was like, cause there's just a lot of money there. <laughs> just Scottsdale, Arizona just has a very high concentration of high wealth clients. And so everyone and their mother sets up a satellite office in there to get those, those clients. <laughs> That is too funny. I have not heard that, <laughs> but I like it. Yeah. I mean, I've never served anybody who's in Arizona, I guess. But, um, <laughs> now I will know when I see one and I will say, what are you doing out there yeah. in Arizona? <laughs> it's funny. It's every time I see one of our students and in their email signature line, it says Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm like, oh, I got you. <laughs> Where I see you. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd never heard of this town before in my life. And then I just started seeing it everywhere in the financial industry for some reason. So it just makes sense, you know, go where the money is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Olivia, um, so as of... Actually, beginning of this month, we're almost at a hundred thousand CFP professionals that are are actively serving clients, right? Um, for those CFP professionals, I mean, how much differentiation do you think the public sees by us just carrying the marks? I mean, have has the broader public made the connection between, oh, CFP is something good for me? because this person's going to act in my best interest and they're, they're experts in the field of personal planning. Is that there naturally just through CFPs marketing efforts and what you've seen on your end? Oh, good question. Somebody else asked me this recently and I, because they got, 
you know, material from the CFP board. This this statistic, like CFPs who advertise with their CFP mm. get seventy percent more or something. You don't know what I'm yeah, talking about, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I don't know actually yep. what the stat is, but you've seen it. Yeah. And I think the thing is, okay, that's very nebulous. I mean, what are we counting as marketing the CFP? But um, in general. No, I don't think most people know what it is. Mm-hmm. If they have worked with an advisor before, it's possible. Um, or if they are doing their due diligence in their research, which means they're in a position to buy, they're looking to buy or switch, um, then yes, at that point. does Is it something that I would highlight super early in the process? I would use it, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket because- mm-hmm. It's not something that people are going to see. So there's three camps, right? People who don't know what it is, people who do, and people who see certified financial planner and just assume it's something good because it sounds mm-hmm. legit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. ooh, he's certified financial planner. They actually don't know anything about the CFP board or what it means, fiduciary, how it um, is beneficial for them. So yes, it is the advisor's job to share that. Um, I would say pepper it into your awareness stage meaning like your social media content and things like that. It's always good to have in your profiles. Um, You worked hard for that anyways. Like, come on, let's get out of it what we can, of course. Um, I think that it's going to be more beneficial later in the sales journey when the customer is actually like searching to buy. Um, So yes and no. Um, don't put all your eggs in that basket and think, oh, I got my CFP now. I'm definitely going to get lots of clients. It's not like a build it and they will come. You still have to explain how it's beneficial for them throughout your content. And honestly, the email sequences are a really good place to do that. You could probably like build awareness in, um, you know, or get like hooked in like what, you know, how can a CFP, CFP benefit you or, you know, what, um, you know, how CFPs do it differently and sort of then link to an article or link to an email that explains more about it. But when you're explaining about it, don't go, well, I sat for this many hours and I passed this examination. No, what does it mean for them? You want a CFP in your corner because it means this for you. And that is the way way that I would go about presenting that information. So CFP isn't quite enough, right? I've I've read so much from very uh, noteworthy people in the field, our, our thought leaders in, in finance, who are, are really all about like, you must differentiate and you must do it early because of what it sets up down the line, right? Is that you're, you're not going to have this wide net and all of these lukewarm leads. Your leads, even though you're only going to convert a fraction of them, are going to be... Uh, your ideal client. And they're going to be people that when you you connect to them are very likely to be the client you want to work with and that you can serve best. Um, is, is that a best practice? Like define you and what you do differently and what makes you really, really unique. Either you as person, you as practice, like what you're going to bring that's different to solve those problems. Is that is that kind of step one in this if I'm stri- trying to build a marketing strategy? Yeah. And it goes right along with that brand message that I was talking about before. Right. So this is the space where even though it's it's prospect and client focus on their problems, this is where you're going to build that credibility, work in how you're different, work in, you know, part of your what your process with working with clients is. That's all going to happen in that brand message up front. And you're spot on to say that because. Yes, you actually don't want a large net. And I talk about this too in reference to your email list as well, right? So with a a smaller, more qualified pool or a smaller, more qualified email list, your conversion rate will be higher. And not only will your conversion rate be higher, but your job satisfaction will be higher because you are actually not having to work as hard to generate the next new client because you put that effort in up front. You wrote a brand message that resonates and you made that investment so that it would carry you through. And then um, you, so you're not going to have to work as hard to attract these people. And then um, you're going to be happier when you're working with them. So you're not going to be like, in this scarcity mindset, like I have to take anybody that comes along. Don't get me wrong. If you're new, you are going to have to do this a couple of times, I bet. 
uh, especially if you need the money. <laughs> but um, along the way, you know, then you're going to get to a place where you're like, okay, that person definitely isn't a good fit for me. Um, you know, and here's the thing too, like if you keep getting a lot of people that are a bad fit for you, you know, there's something wrong with your brand message. And I know this from personal experience, because as our uh, um, firm evolved from content marketing to fully outsourced digital marketing, we rebranded. I used to be Lexicon content development. We moved to Lexicon advisor marketing just this year. Um, I, my messaging was very sterile and it was very numbers driven, very revenue driven. And I kept getting people like knocking on the door who wanted six minute apps. Like I want to 10X my business tomorrow. And I was like, well, <laughs> sir, that is not going to happen. That's um, off the menu for now. <laughs> that's off the menu. So also not, not possible. So, um, you know, I was like, what am I doing? Like, and I just had to really take a, a deep look at like, what, what is the message that I was putting out there? And it was my own fault because I was attracting what I was putting out. So I had to go back to square one and say, okay, Olivia, what, what is it? Who are the people that you want to work with? How do you help them? What are the pain points that you help them overcome? And really had to go back to square one with that. And it has made all the difference, not for just reasons that I just said. Marketing isn't as hard. The people who come to you are ready to buy. And you have fun working with them. You enjoy helping them. And when you're in a business, you get into a business to help people. And you aren't able to help people. There is going to be job dissatisfaction. And so really, even though I'm a marketer, I really, my whole mission is like to help financial advisors, like, be happier at work. Like, because... It affects your whole life. If your work is bad and you don't feel good going to work, you're just going to be miserable. So I really just feel like I'm a marketer, but I'm really here for like the whole human, like, let's have a good, good life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 100%. Uh, that That's really helpful. Um, I, I do think that people starting out that uh, or changing careers, right? There, there is that pressure. Where's my first client going to come from? Uh, how do I connect with people and let them know what I do outside of my immediate circles? And how long is this going to take? And um, I mean, I've seen people early on uh, go to some of the lead gen sources where that's, you know, I'm paying a chunk of my revenue for qualified leads that you're going to be sending to me, which I know is, is very commonplace in the BD channels, right? They have a lot of leads that they pass along to their advisors. But on the indie side, um, when I heard some of the splits on on the revenue that the lead gen sources charge for the amount of time they charge it, it's pretty staggering. Um, but I, yeah. I feel like they've also identified the pain point, which is I, I don't know where the next client's going to come from. Yes. And I'm building the system and it's taking a long time to connect. And how do I know it that does. this is going to prove out? But in, in what you've seen, it does prove out over time. Yeah. Well, so, okay. I guess here's the thing that I think that we're sort of asking in a roundabout way is like, if yeah. you are in that situation and you're new, what is the best thing to do right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so <Thank you. laughs> if, like, ju just start, like I do spend some time, go through this Donald Miller storybook framework or some other framework that you can find to help you build some sort of brand message, something some start with something, right? Um, and then start building the content, monitor it as you go. But I had a thought and now I can't remember what it was going to be. Spend time talking to people. That's what it is. So here's the thing that I cannot do as an outsourced marketing professional. Some people do it. I do not. I think it is fraught with potential downfalls, which is community management. So these days, like I mentioned earlier, because the whole social media game has changed, you actually have to like try on social media now, just you can't just like post things and then you're ahead of the game. Like you've got to create content that's great, but also let's say you're not that great at it. You can still talk to people. Hopefully mm -hmm. you, you, you get out of your comfort zone and say, okay, I, every day I'm going to spend this much time on LinkedIn, searching for people who fit my ideal client profile, sending them a connection request or Instagram, wherever your people are, and then talking to them about what their biggest challenges are. Here's the thing. You might convert some of them to clients. 
but you're going to learn what it is, those things that you don't know how to identify in your brand message, the voice of the customer, you're going to get it right from them. Also, of course, you can look at other people who serve a similar niche and see the things they're talking about to get ideas. I mean, let's not recreate the wheel here. We don't have to start from scratch. Groups of people have the same problems. That's why they're grouped together. So if you can find someone in your same niche, you like their content, take some ideas from them and make them your own. But talk to people, like just go set up coffee chats. Is it scalable? Can you do it forever? No, but this is how you're going to get your first clients. This is going to be how you make your first money. Now, with the first money that you do have, this is what you need to do. You need a strong lead collection and conversion mechanism. This can be as something as simple as join my email list, but you have to send out emails once they join or else there's no point. <laughs> get them off social media and get them into your world. So if you spend any money, you need to spend it on some sort of lead mechanism. Con uh, collection mechanism it can be a land it could just be as simple as a landing page you set up in mailchimp or on the back end of your website that says hey join my list here's what you get here's the form bing they get a welcome email sequence which is that second thing that you're going to need these might possibly be the most important seven emails that you ever sent out because this is their first impression of you beyond just that outer awareness bubble, right? They have opted in. They've let you into their world, into their inbox. You got to make it worth it, right? So you've got to have a nice email sequence that lets them see the value of your service, learn more about your process, get some client testimonials in there, do some paradigm shifts. Then they will fall into your regular email cadence. Hopefully you have some system set up, um, at least, you know, like once a week, you send out an email to your prospect list, call to action. Hey, you know, if you're ready for me to help you solve this problem, let's book a time to chat. I had talked to my cross-border guy the other day, and he told me he had someone on email list for 20 years and then came and opened a million-dollar account. So you oh. know what? <laughs> it's a long sales cycle for financial services. This is why I don't like it when financial advisors go to like legion services or other services outside of the finance industry because they don't understand the way that financial advisors make money and they don't understand that whole sales cycle we're not selling a product we're not selling a even if even in the way it differentiates from law firms right like law firms you work with somebody on a case and then they maybe come back when they have another case financial services a long hopefully a lifetime relationship mm -hmm. you know that's yeah. the goal right get them and keep them forever then get their kids and keep the kids you know so it's it's a different mindset in marketing um and yeah i mean i have to talk to people who are kind of on this rev share plan with the legion service or a rev share plan with a larger entity and they come to me like i need to make more money because these people are taking so much of my money <laughs> i'm like <laughs> All right, sister, let's do this. Like, let's make you some money. A million dollars of revenue and 950000 of it goes out the door to services. <laughs> right? Yeah. So to kind of close out with something fun, you know, as a ghostwriter, you know, social media manager, you kind of have to wear a lot of hats because, you know, your messages talk about what you know. But you're representing all these people. So now you have to know what they know. What's kind of like the funnest thing that you've you've kind of learned in this process? Or what's your kind of like favorite niche financial uh, topic that you, uh, you've come across doing this? Oh, man, that's a good one. <laughs> well, okay. So I haven't worked with this lady, but there there is a woman who does financial planning for strippers, which I think is- Wow, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they make a lot of money. They don't know what to do with it to prepare for the future I, because they don't have retirement plans in their workplace. <laughs> well, that, you know? that reminds so, me of uh, that scene in the big short, you know, when uh, Michael Scott goes to the strip club and he's interviewing the strippers and they're all like, yeah, I have like five or eight properties in Miami because I don't know what to do with my money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, my friend Colton, he does financial planning for tattoo artists. Oh, okay. Uh, That's pretty cool. And then my financial planner is actually, a, uh, his name is Justin Green. He's a financial planner for, well, he's, he, when I met him a few years ago, he was doing online fitness coaches and I'm a professional bodybuilder. So I was mm -hmm. like, Hey, this guy will get me. That's yeah. why I picked him. Listen <laughs> to the words that come out of my mouth. Yeah. He, he 
was in something that was important to me. But if he had not embraced that niche, I would have never found him yep. because he he wouldn't have been on my radar in my bodybuilding world radar. Yep. And I was like, I want him. He's going to understand why I spend so much money on food. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to get along great. And now he's one of my great friends. We talk business all the time. I mean, outside of our advisory relationship. And so, you know, you've got to put your, your own self in your marketing. Your business is very much a reflection of who you are. And it should reflect who you are and what you stand for. So you can get excited about growing your business. Awesome. That is great. That is great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you never know uh, what path it's going to take you down. So that that's great. Thank you so much, Olivia. This was uh, really eye-opening. I really uh, think our listeners will get a lot out of this. Uh, it's definitely a huge pain point for uh, a lot of our students who are just getting into the industry. Um, and, you know, if they wanted to kind of find you, maybe engage your services or just, you know, see more about it. You have your, your website, Lexicon Advisor Marketing. But, I don't know, is there anything else you'd like to share with them? Do you have, like... Uh, any social medias or anything like that you want to share? Yeah. So I think if you're just starting out and you're looking for some marketing tips, I do a weekly newsletter called Lexicon Last Click. And it's a mix of, you know, research decoded, of course, um, where, fi you know, things like where financial advisors spend their money, um, where can you, you know, get clients for the lowest acquisition costs, but also fun stuff like my favorite playlist and recommended readings. So it's a little fun and a little work. Um, but you can get some really great tips in there to, you know, help you along the way as you're starting out. I'm also on Instagram on lexicon advisor marketing. And I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn under Olivia Looper. Um, so you guys can check me out in all those places. And I hope you'll join our community of 4,000 plus advisors already benefiting from the emails. Um, and yeah, reach out to me anytime. I'm an open book. I'm always here to help. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, great episode. Uh, we definitely learned a lot uh, for all of our listeners. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed and uh, we will be coming back to you next week with another segment from our uh, CFP content draft series. So stay tuned for that next week. Thanks a lot, Olivia. Really appreciated having you on. And Jerry, I'm looking forward to uh, absolutely smoking you in the tax planning draft. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. And please do let me know how that turns out. <laughs> uh, study on everyone. Study on. Study on.